to give you a history of capitalism in the English-speaking West, 240 years of it in 14 minutes and 52 seconds. Bear with me. Obviously, I'd like to begin this by acknowledging that I am on Aboriginal land. I acknowledge the traditional ownership and custodianship of, I believe, the Turrbal and Yagara people. Your story of oppression, extraction and exploitation is inherent to the tale I'm about to tell. At a trade union conference, one probably doesn't expect the notoriously neo-Marxist feminist people to begin with quite from Adam Smith. But Adam Smith made the point, 1776 and the wealth of nations, an analysis of the transition of economies from an agrarian, feudalistic, monarchy-based system to a system that, because a bunch of white guys in boats had guns, went around the world, uh, stole land, shot lots of people and enslaved them, meanwhile taking their resources, that the notion of the economy and what that constituted was changing, and wealth was accumulating, not in traditional aristocracies, but in a new aristocracy of conquistador capitalists, right? Adam Smith said, never yet have workers tried to form combinations that their masters have called for the magistrate to suppress them. The history of the trade union movement is about breaking unjust laws. As a group of notorious agricultural workers found out in Dorset, in the little town of Colpulley in 1833, when they were rumbled, forming a secret meeting to talk about organising an illegal society, i.e. a trade union, and were delivered the ultimate punishment, which was transportation to the recently seized property of Australia. This, of course, is the period of the Industrial Revolution, where that agrarian economy, inflated by trade, attracts people to seize various technological innovations, concentrate uh, a former agrarian working class into an urban working class, the industrial proletariat. People working in factories in conditions that we all know that we bear the generational memory of were absolutely appalling. Across Europe in 1848, combinations of workers, the origin of the industrial trade unions, breaks out across Europe. There is rioting. There there are deaths, there are murders, there are trials. The organisers are hunted down. A little-known left-wing journalist by the name of Karl Marx has written a pamphlet with his rich mate Friedrich Engels in the Communist Manifesto, advocating for a society based on worker control of their own jobs, an idealistic society in which the proletariat, the oppressed, become, of course, the instigators of the society and the builders of the society in which they want to leave. This pamphlet is banned outright. It's illegal in Germany for 30 years. Meanwhile, the movement left behind decides that enough is enough and the constant violence and suppression and the illegality of organising as trade unions needs to channel itself into a political movement and the labourers parties are formed. In Germany, it's the Social Democratic Party still with us today, the first great Labour Party of Western Europe. They are, of course, banned. The authoritarian government is furious that there is like a worker movement that's demanding electoral rights and legislative rights and the right to determine representation of workers in systems of governance. You are not allowed to be a member of the SDP. It's an illegal organisation, but SDP candidates run in the limited election system and they win anyway. The ruling government of Germany at that time, quite notoriously under the control of a dude called Otto von Bismarck, traditional aristocrat, passes anti-socialist laws to stop this horrible political movement of workers demanding worker control of worker affairs. Entered into the court proceedings, the prosecution of some SDP activists is that banned pamphlet, the Communist Manifesto. Because it has become evidence, it is now no longer banned and can be shared freely. A whole new discourse of what is politically capable and possible for working class people to organise and achieve. 
it opens up across Western Europe and spreads all over the world. It is in absolute terror of the implications of workers organising and demanding their own political enfranchisement that motivates Bismarck to introduce the first welfare state provisions in the world. This is a doll, this is limited public health care, um, and this is also a limited form of pensions. The lesson, the historical lesson in these first five minutes is that the history of unionism is the history of struggle to gain control over our own lives and that governments and authoritarians only give us what we want when they are terrified of us. You're listening to 4ZZZ Brisbane. This is Van Badham speaking at the 2018 ACTU Congress. Lesson two, in Britain, the first welfare state provisions are introduced by the Oxford People Government in 1911. Again, a limited form of the doll in order to quell trade union uprisings demanding socialism and social change around the shipbuilding cities of the British North. When there is a mechanism put in place for people to be able to weather the changes in the economy that may drive them into unemployment, that that actually creates greater job stability, greater economic participation. Confidence builds in the recognition of working people to demand a larger slice of the economic pie. This is of course occurring in a period where capitalism is rapidly expanding and changes in production are leading us into a whole new world of consumption, distribution and exchange. What happens in the United States is various factors including very little regulation on the economy and in 1929 due to overconfidence over speculation and a lot of rich people doing whatever the hell they want with their money. The stock market crash of 1929 is felt around the world. With no money being spent, corporations disappearing overnight, uh, people being fired as corporations like struggle to keep control of their assets and not spend any money, unemployment shoots through the roof. The worst country affected is Germany. The second worst country affected is Australia. In 1929, Australia had an unemployment rate overnight after a crash of 11.1%. By 1932, it was 30%. A third of the population of New South Wales was unemployed. There were no welfare provisions. There was no welfare state in Australia. Huge communities just walked off to the land to feed themselves on hunting rabbits. There was discretionary powers within state governments to feed people. Unemployed people in city driven from their homes relied on charity and soup kitchens. In Germany, this kind of economic dysfunction fueled the rise of extremism that was rooted in a lot of political tensions around the outcome of the First World War. There was a gravitation to the simple answers of fascism, and the popular movements coalesced in what became an authoritarian dictatorship of the Nazi Party, driving Germany into a horrible, destructive war that eventually involved everybody. In the period of the Second World War, an extraordinary thing happened in Australia that the economic logic that during the Depression had told uh, our more conservative governments to instead prioritise paying money back to Britain um, that was owed rather than creating jobs upended. When the greatest left-wing socialist in Australian history, John Curtin, proposed to a government that was now fighting a war, that the war was actually an opportunity to provide the stability to Australia that had been denied by the speculation of the capitalists. Uh, beforehand and built the basis of the Australian welfare state. The Australian doll began in 1942. In 1944, John Curtin delivered the greatest piece of economic literature in Australian history, which was the Curtin White Paper on Full Employment. 
putting in law the obligation of government to maintain economic stability by ensuring as a government responsibility that every Australian would be able to receive a job. I mention this because this was the basis of a system that created Australian prosperity. When we talk about the, the, the great social contract between the Australian working class and the broader community, it was rooted in the confidence that you had as an Australian worker that your job would not be taken away from you. And because the government had the direct responsibility of creating jobs for all Australians, public service jobs were available and they were good. And they set a standard for what any worker in public or private enterprise could reasonably expect. They maintained conditions because conditions through organised unions and mass unionisation through public service jobs were able to tell corporations and private interests what, what jobs could be and the competition had to be met by private corporations with what the government could offer in terms of employment. And this was the basis of our bargaining power as workers, that we were not afraid of unemployment because it was not something constantly threatened over us. Between 1945 and 1975, the Australian unemployment rate only went over 2% in one year because of direct government policies. You're listening to 4ZZZ Brisbane. This is Van Badham speaking at the 2018 ACTU Congress. Is anybody here for Wollongong? Yep. Do you know, Wollongong has had a youth unemployment rate of 20% for the past 40 years. And the reason why is because in 1975, the transition to the Liberal government of Malcolm Fraser abandoned the commitment of the government to maintaining full employment. And all across Australia, all across regional Australia, it's that kind of direct investment and direct job creation that we've lost that has left us in the neoliberal morass we're in now. Because what happened was, even though Curtin died, and we all know that Ben Shibley lost the election in 1949, the policies of full employment, welfare provision, security of work, the guarantee of unionisation, these had to be maintained by Menzies through that long, silent slumber of conservative rule in this country. Because the organised working class, the people, would not expect anything less than the responsibility of government to stabilise society through full employment. They had seen what had happened in the Great Depression. They had seen what had caused the Second World War and the horrible deprivations around that. But after the Whitlam government got elected, the forces of, of capitalism within this country and many others had collectivised. The IPA was founded the very same year of the curtain of white paper on full employment. And enormous amounts of corporate money has been going into institutions like the IPA for years. They have done things like in the United States, corporations would fund economics chairs only for people who support the free market ideology. In Australia, free market organisations like the IPA supplied universities teaching economics courses with literally thousands of books advocating that the greatest problem for the economy was full employment, that we needed more labour market flexibility, that economic crises could only be resolved if there were no restrictions on the market. The same kind of deregulation that informed the crisis of 1929, that lack of scrutiny, that lack of government control, that lack of responsibility towards the people is exactly what they have been campaigning and working through universities, newspapers, politicians, institutes, think tanks, 
public advocates ever since to convince the people that the cause of unemployment is not government walking away, the cause of unemployment is not corporations deciding not to employ people, to instead spend corporate tax cuts reinvesting in their own company and not creating jobs but paying off shareholders, which is exactly what we've seen in America. What they have convinced people of is the existence of dollar bludgers. That somehow unemployment, which is a social phenomenon which can be controlled by government, is an individual responsibility. And they did this by introducing terms like doll bludger into public discourse through a very coordinated attack, and it began under Whitlam. Because Whitlam was extending the welfare state, Whitlam was extending job creation, looking towards the future, and building an inclusive economy for all of us, so we would all have that security of a job. And yet this mythology was created that unemployment was something that individuals deserve and how unemployment was something that was born as a character failing. And huge sections of the population bought that. And what that meant was, when they didn't invest in jobs, when they privatised, when they outsourced, when they casualised, when they offshored, when they took jobs out of the economy, they could blame the individual. In these last 39 seconds of looking at where we are now, we've got to look at the impact of them buying off academics and buying off journalists and buying off TV shows and owning advocates and telling Australians that what the economy is, it's what's in the interest of the ruling class, well it isn't. There is another economy. that invest in us and our collective security, not in the profit of a few.